Spades. We are all bleeding. Painting portraits with scarlet shadows etched like birthdays on the insides of rings that have been lost for a long time. We are all dying, fading into frost and far-flung banks of stars. Comets' tales are swan songs for enough of us. Some of us never even get that far. It is never all about you, I am told. The rest of the world would do well to remember that. Carve it into the meat of their hearts just to be sure. There are moments of indescribable pain. The death of someone irreplaceable. The end of a marriage. The loss of friendship. The disappointment when no one comes running. We make choices. We should not be surprised when the fruits of such labor end up on our table. And if we find ourselves in a cold, dark place, the bottom of a pit, fresh earth, scent of loam, and we wonder how we fell so far, we should check our hands for shovels. Steve Shell. Welcome back to another episode of Beyond the Spark. I am your host. Hey, I'm always your host. My name is Raya Carmen. I go by Raya Sunshine. And today I am more than a little bit excited. I mean, we had to turn down the volume on the microphone because I was so hype about this interview with such an amazing individual. I don't even want to give it away. So I'm going to, I'm going to leave the name out of the bio when I read it and then at the end everybody can get excited and y'all can all start like squirming in your seats and stuff when I say the name so this person is one of the most successful spoken word poets in the world on any given day this artist can be found keynoting at a fortune 500 company inspiring thousands at a concert or performing for Barack Obama in Oprah's backyard y'all that's dope I mean, it's not just Barack Obama. It's also in Oprah's backyard. This person has dedicated his career to pioneering a mainstream industry for spoken word. He has built a seven-figure company on poetry, has had his work featured on dozens of major TV networks, has innovated a new category of public speaking called Poetic Voice, and has garnered prestigious awards in advertising, theater, business, poetry, and music, including a Grammy nomination for Best Spoken Word Album. Seiku Andrews' vanguard career is driven by his mission to not only inspire the world, but teach people how to be inspiring themselves. Y'all, I'm telling you, stop your car so you can clap and all of that stuff while you do this. And welcome Seiku Andrews to Beyond the Spark. Hey, Seiku, how you doing? What up? What up, Raya? Cuckoo! <laughs> I love it. I love yeah, it. Yeah, I'm so excited <laughs> to get into this conversation with you. Um, 
for several reasons. We are, are on similar journeys and um, I have been a fan for years now um, after seeing you perform for Facing History and Ourselves, um, which is an amazing organization. Y'all out there, if you've never heard about it, go and look them up. They take history and they make it palatable for everybody. Yeah. Absolutely. And they, and they do a good job of really integrating it into the classroom at mm -hmm. forcing the students to look at like the, the historical context of how people became upstanders instead of bystanders. And I think it's, it's, it's incredible the way they the way they bring that into the curriculum. So definitely check them out. Yeah, absolutely. It's for all the teachers out there. We got some more stuff for y'all teachers. But, you know, hold on. All right. So we're going to start. We're going to start off easy. Right. Um, what is your first memory of just writing poems or hearing poems? Um, my first memory of writing poetry. Um, yeah, it was in school. It was in school. I uh, I came to, po to traditional poetry like I think most of us do, you know, in school. Obviously, we all mm -hmm. start off with our roses, our reds, and our violets and blues. You know, uh, we start off writing a Mother's Day poem for our mom in elementary school from class, stuff like that. But in terms of really understanding poetry, I want to say it was, you know, probably started in middle school. My uh, middle school teacher mm -hmm. used to call me Haiku <laughs> as his nickname for me. Uh, <laughs> and so I remember that's, you know, when I first started to to understand the words poetry in a, in a more formal context, formal context. But um, that was also when I discovered hip hop. So I began to understand poetry ah. through the hip hop lens as well. Like I fell in love with the stage in seventh grade mm -hmm. with, with, with uh, acting and with lyric writing and hip hop. And that's when I began to pursue both of them through middle school, high school, college and beyond. Um, but it wasn't until until uh, high school that I really remember writing poems that that weren't a okay. part of some class assignment, you know, and, and like most of us, you know, that I, I started off writing about some girl that I was too shy to talk to, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> my, it was the, the love from afar poem, you know what I mean? Like, oh, wow. and so that's really what introduced me to it. And that's what, that's where I really began to sort of take ownership of my pen outside of an assignment in the classroom that's the that's yeah. the earliest memory I have of like when I go when I go digging through the crates and my files and and look and find my old poems. You know what I mean? Oh, wow. On a, that's on a, a typewriter printed out. You know what I mean? On a, <laughs> on an old dot printer. You know what I'm saying? I know myself. Yes. Um, that's uh, they were usually poems that were about, you know, a love poem about some girl that I probably didn't probably she probably didn't even know I existed or um, a love poem about a girlfriend or some sort of socially aware, social consciousness type poem, you know, me commenting on the state okay. of the world in some way. Um, so yeah, I would say, you know, the, the, the spark really came in middle school um, and then the spark turned into a flame in high school. Mm. And then that's when I um, began to really both pursue writing more formally as well as writing hip hop more formally, uh, which took me post, which took me into college where I began to really pursue hip hop heavily. And then post-college is where I um, is sort of rediscovered spoken word poetry on its own, separate from hip hop. 
So it's kind of a circle. Of okay. It's like poetry okay. led me to hip hop. Hip hop led me back to poetry. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Full circle. I like that. I like that a lot. I think it's kind of funny because I always um, the gentlemen that I interview, they always, you know, have these love poems that they wrote for, for girls. And I, and I, and the women that I have interviewed are all like, I was born a poet. My mom poured it into me. And, <laughs> and they're never mentioning right. these love poems right. for boys. We, that, you know that's really, not what they did. Traditionally, <laughs> we have the, the, the responsibility to be the one that hollers at y'all, which means we are probably <laughs> thinking about how, what would I say to her and how would I express myself to her? And then, you know, a lot of times you're too shy. Maybe you don't have those, you ain't got game yet. And so all your game just stays in your pen and your pad because you try to actually speak oh, the yes. words. But I think, you know, society tells us we the ones that got to step or has traditionally told us that we the ones that got to step to the women. So that's why the dudes are like, man, what am I going to say? What am I going to say? Um, your eyes are like yeah. daffodils in solar system. <laughs> no, no, that's corny. That's corny. And then we don't do nothing. It. It's corny. <laughs> yeah. we don't say nothing. <laughs> never, uh, never. I love it. <laughs> um, I think one of the first, the well, I wrote a ton, um, middle school to high school, and uh, I called myself having a boyfriend when I was about 15 years <laughs> old, and I did write a little love poem, and my thing all through writing is I never really write love poems. I think I've written my husband too. We've been married for 13 wow. years. Like, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> like, and those were kind of, you know, they just kind of came about. I think there were assignments uh, that I had given to other poets and I participated uh, because, and that's how we got the love poems. I just have never, I don't know. What don't, do you, what, the, what, what typically mushroom. pours out of you topic wise? What do you gravitate towards most types of poetry? I think I, I gravitate towards um, inspiration, okay. um, finding inspiration in around every corner, you know, and everything that has happened in my life, whether it's been an illness, whether it's been a parent passing, always looking at how will I use that as fuel to then excel in life and find greatness in life. And so I tend to write about those things, everything that how it bothers me, how it makes me feel, how I take that and use it as the fuel to be a greater and a better Raya. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you you ended up, uh, you started off where I, I ended up because I think that, you know, a lot of my stuff started with love poems, um, but obviously the space that I'm in now, it's a highly mm -hmm. inspirational, motivational type space. And so a lot of what I write now is that, is exactly that. It's, you know, it's inspirational. It's, it's finding the inspiration in all things. It's using the things that inspire you to be your best self, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I don't, but I definitely didn't start there because, you know, like all youth, you know, we go through our, <clears throat> our phases, our angst phases and our dark phases and all that. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there's definitely phases where my hip hop was definitely angrier. It was, um, it was, it was a lot more, uh, volatile, uh, it was a lot darker, mm. but <clears throat> it always still had, I think an inspirational purpose you know even when i think wow, about okay. my my i remember being at the at the poetry lounge my home venue out here in la that i came up in um shout out dpl and i uh i remember performing one of my pieces that was a, a hip-hop piece off my album and it was I, I probably couldn't even remember the lyrics right now but it was a really like 
uh, rapid fire hip hop piece that was dark, just talking about, you know, the struggles of me just, you know, working minimum wage jobs mm-hmm. and and trying to trying to make it in, in, in the world and all of that. Right. And it was called What to Do. And it the the hook of it had um, a Billie Holiday sample saying "What to do, what to do," you know, and she was doing that. And so, oh wow! And so, and I would be like, you know, I don't know what to do, and I'm trying to figure it out whatever. But people left it with that with that sense of like, yeah, I really identified with that that struggle. You know what I mean? It's the different mm-hmm. times when we yeah. talk about struggle, where it's like it's dark and it stays dark and it's dark for the sake of darkness. And there's other times we talk about the dark place for the sake of talking about how it is that we're climbing our way out of it, you know? And, yes. um, and I'd always felt like people had that response. And then there was this one night where this lady came up to me and she afterwards, just this complete concern, a parental concern look on her face. And she's like, <laughs> so, like, do you know what to do? Like, are you okay? <laughs> You know, oh, she, she was, was concerned. concerned. I remember, like, the first time yeah, she that, needed... I, that I got that response. I was like, oh, wait, do I? And I was like, do I guess I so. I guess do? there are people that probably receive your work in different ways. And she wasn't sure. And mm-hmm. she was making sure I wasn't standing on a ledge, you know, ready to take my own life because I'm because I'm still in the dark place and have no sense of my way out of it. So I do think that, you know, we go through these places where our work um, takes these different colors. But mine, I think, always had this this tone of leading back to this inspirational positive or at least growth oriented place. Why I think mm-hmm. it led me, my poetry led me to the space that I'm in now with inspirational speaking and so forth, you know? So do you feel like maybe you write, do you feel like you write in that dark place and then, you know, you go back and see it later once you've come out or do you look back um, once you're out and then write about the dark place. I don't know if that question even made sense, but yeah. that's what I was thinking about while you were talking is like, we write sometimes it's hindsight. We've, we've found our healing and we're going back to tell somebody else about the struggle that got us to this good place. Or do you find yourself writing in the struggle? Yeah, no, I think it's a great question. Um, both. Um, <laughs> there are, <clears throat> There are plenty of times that, you know, I did a, um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with a woman named Lisa Nichols, uh, you know, heavy, major, major transformational speaker and leader um, and founder of a company called Motivating the Masses. And she uh, invites, she has a, she has a big event called Speaking Right to Make Millions. That's her, um, her sort of base level event that she has for anyone that's considering becoming a public speaker. If you're ever thinking about it, I would definitely look her up and look up Speaking Right. It's an amazing three-day event where you can go and sort of get the full scoop on what it takes from from the the onstage elements to the back-end business elements of becoming a successful uh, public speaker. And so she invited me to come and keynote for it years ago. And uh, she invited me to talk about stage versus therapy. And really okay. understanding, helping audiences to understand when you are, when when your story, when your speech, when your content is ready for the stage versus when it's still in therapy, right? And I, so I think wow. that's a very important distinction. And so one of the things I talked about was, you know, people like, let's say, for, you know, I do speaker training myself and I have a program called Stage Might 
that is um, helps people to go from stage fright to stage might and become mighty on any stage that they touch. And one of the things I talk about is related to that stage versus therapy. People always ask me about like crying, you know, like, well, you, you tell these powerful stories and you tell these moving stories and, you know, people end up crying at, at a tech conference or something like, and it's, and it's, and it's fascinating how you humanize. And I'm like, yeah. Um, so they're like, but I, I'd be afraid to tell that because, um, you know, how do you, how, how do you, what, what happens if you break down? What happens if you, and I always tell them, listen, the, there's no problem with breaking down. There's no problem with cracking you. Right. There's no problem with crying on stage. Um, that you, mm-hmm. a, a, an audience of human beings watching you be human is incredibly powerful, but it's a matter of what you do yes. with it. And it's a matter of how you come out of it. And so if you, what I tell people is if you are telling a story about, um, you know, an event, let's say, um, I, I'll give use use myself as an example. Uh, one of the things, the stories that I've told consistently throughout my um, speaking career is the story of my wife and I and our fertility journey. Uh, we had a seven year long fertility journey, and and so I say if if you're talking about something like your fertility journey, if you are so close to it still that if it were to break you down, it would it would detour you. You know, mm-hmm. it would be debilitating to the presentation um, and the audience would watch you struggle in that moment to climb out of it. Then it, you're still in therapy with it. You, you're too close and you don't want to risk. Um, you know, it, the darkness mm-hmm. is still too close to you. Right. Um, it still has too right. much of it. It still has its, its, its teeth. Its teeth sunk into you too much. Um, but mm-hmm. I also tell stories. Let's say one of the stories that I tell is about my father passing, having a heart attack and me getting a knock on my college campus dorm room door and and hearing that my, my father had passed. And it's, I mean, it's a tearjerker story. It's, it leaves everybody, you know, everybody with wet cheeks in the room. Um, and there are times, I mean, that was 25 years ago. And there are times when mm-hmm. I, I crack. There are times when I, I can tell the story and I can represent the emotions of the story, even if I'm not in them. And then there are times where I'm representing the emotion, emotions of the story like an actor, and all yeah. of a sudden it gets the best of me. And I start cracking and I feel myself swelling up and so forth. And it's fine for me to have that moment. The audience connects with me and, and, and my humanity that moment. Mm-hmm. But I know how to find my way out of it. I know not only do I know how to navigate my way out of it uh, uh, very professionally and, and masterfully. Mm-hmm. But I also know how to turn that emotional moment into a greater point for them. And so the father story I tell 25 years later, the fertility story I told often, uh, I told often during our journey, I started telling our story probably after our first or second loss. We had four losses during our seven year journey. And I started telling our story, that story after probably my second loss, which was our big one, our second, big second uh, second trimester loss. And, and when I told the story, then I didn't have a happy ending, right? Just told right. it a way to help right. them understand the power of storytelling and being vulnerable and telling them that sometimes as a leader, the greatest way for you to show your strength is to show your vulnerability. And I would give them an example of that. Yes. Right now we have our, our, our beautiful angel miracle baby. Um, as the end of the seven year story. And so now I am able to give them the, the happy, the happy ending ever after, right. but I still tell the story in present tense so that I tell okay. them, tell the story as if I'm still in the dark moment. Then I give them the surprise ending by saying there, there's a, I say it didn't matter that 
when I was telling the story to folks, healthcare folks that were dealing with epilepsy or cybersecurity folks that were dealing with technology or whatever, didn't matter that our industries were different. It didn't matter that they weren't dealing with the same health condition because we're all dealing with the same human condition. We all fear, we all know loss, we all know tragedy. And that's what I was Mm -hmm. connecting with them on. And then when I brought it back to their industry, when I brought it back to the Mm -hmm. function that they serve, suddenly they saw their function in a completely new way because they had internalized the community they serve, HR reps or something. They had internalized the folks that they serve in a way that was personal because I took them through a journey that had nothing to do with the people they serve, Mm -hmm. but had to do with the folks that I was serving and so forth. So it became very personal for them. It became much more powerful for them. They own the story and I wasn't able able to give them a happy ending, but I can't give you one because, and then I showed the picture of my baby and now everybody's just lit up and they're all celebrating and they're crying (laughs) and they're like, oh, but he made it. And I remind them, you know, (laughs) I told that story to them for years without being able to give them the happily ever after, because the power is not always in the victory. The power sometimes is in the story itself. It's in the journey itself. And it's in someone else who is dealing, who is in the dark moment. They don't have their after shot. They're still in the before shot. They're still in the darkness, right? And so if you tell a story about how it is that you told stories when you were in the darkness, it reminds them that they have the power to do that while they're still in the darkness. It's safer to wait until we we have the after shot, right? right? It's right. safer to wait until eh, everything is fine to tell the story. It's more dangerous to tell the story when you're in it, but sometimes it can be more powerful for the that's hearing it because they're in it as well. And they're saying, if you can be this inspiring when you don't have your happily ever after yet, it inspires me to make sure that I keep that positivity while I'm still on the dark journey as well. I love it. I love it. Um, Currently going through my own journey. So (laughs) that is, yeah, that is definitely um, something that's, that speaks to me because of what, I have chosen to do and, and following my Mm -hmm. spirit. And so right now, you know, the question is, well, what are you going to do next? What are are you going to do next? And all I know is that I have to follow my spirit, right? I have to follow what I feel in my spirit and go balls to the wall, no questions asked and, and follow the calling that's on my life. I don't know where it's going to end right now. I just know that that's that's my story right now is to have the faith to follow yeah. through. And uh, I am finding that just that story, no matter who asked a question, when I tell them that, it's enough inspiration for them to say, okay, like I can follow my dreams. I can follow the, my spirit. Like I've, I've wanted to do so much and it's given so many people enough inspiration and power to then say, okay, I can make it. I can. I can do this and believe in myself. So, now I appreciate. I appreciate you and your story because it also gives me, like, you know, a goal. Like, okay, it's 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 up there. It's around the corner. Right. We yeah, we all see. need that. You know, what I'm saying if you are a person, if you are a person that stays complacent in life, you level out and you don't try anything and you don't put yourself in any scary places and you're not or things have always worked out for you or you you know you you operate at your lowest common denominator then you don't need these things as much but if you are a person that is aspiring for something new and you're stepping into a place that's scary and you're intentionally you know one of the things i 
I do is I intentionally push my place myself into places that are both terrifying and exhilarating. You know, I live on that double-edged yeah. sword. I think that's where we encounter our greatest growth. And, and that's the space that that's the, that's the incubator that helps us get to our next level. Uh, and so, oh, yeah. and that can be in our professional lives, but that can just be in our personal lives. You don't think about something like having a kid as being the thing that is going to be, is going to push you into that level. But then all of a sudden things don't work out quite the way you want it to. Next thing you know, you yes. on this massive journey that you just thought everybody else just, you know, oops, I'm pregnant. And here we are, <laughs> you know what I mean? Tens of thousands of dollars in and years in and tears in um, mm. and never expected to be this kind of journey. And I think that that those kinds of things happen in our life with our health, with our families, with our job and so forth. Mm -hmm. um, and the more that we get comfortable being in places of growth, the more that we are able to become lifelong growers and lifelong learners. We're okay right. with knowing, we're okay with the disruption. We're okay with the unsteadiness. We're okay with feeling that we're, we, we know how to navigate the ground falling out from under us. Um, and know how that 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 is not the end all be all, you know, for us. And when people hear those stories, absolutely, everybody is dealing mm -hmm. with that in some way. Almost everybody is dealing with that in some way. And so when they hear those stories, there's yes. just an incredible power in people saying, "Your story is completely different than mine. Your objective is completely different than mine. But the message that you have to tell yourself to get through is the same message that I needed to hear to get through mine." Yeah, everybody needs yeah. that message because we're all human. That's the thing is, is hitting that humanity in everyone. And I think that that's where I found my poetry settling um, is that I want people to see the humanity in one another even still. So it's a connection. It allows us to find that connection to one another. So no matter who's in the room, we all know, hey, we are all human. We're all dealing with something. And now I can go talk to this person who I probably never would have talked to before. And I can make a connection because now our humanity is connected as opposed to looking at the outside of one another or looking at our religion or our paychecks or anything like that. So that's really, you know, where I find my happy place and uh, why I love being on stage because I can create those moments. Right. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Oh man, this is so good. <laughs> I don't think I would want to stop talking <laughs> to you. Um, <laughs> so um, I, this, this question always tends to come up, but I think we've talked about it a little bit and that's just um, you as an artist, a spoken word artist or a page poet. But I think, you find yourself uh, in the classification as just a poet and a hip hop MC. Am I correct? I, I identify very much as a spoken word poet. Um, okay. I think a big part of that is because the doorway through which I entered poetry and fell in love with poetry was through hip hop. Hip hop mm -hmm. is very performance based, right? Uh, very, yeah. very, you know, very infrequently is somebody sitting down and saying, "I think I'm gonna read me some hip hop today." You know, um, it's <laughs> it's lit, but people sit down all the time and say, "I think I'm gonna read a poem today," right? And mm -hmm. so I identified with albums over books. I identified with stages over pages. Um, and so, okay. and so there, and so as I began to move from. <clears throat> 
you know, I started doing hip hop. I started just doing tradi- traditional hip hop. And I would just go and deliver my hip hop at, at open mics. And then I started going to poetry open mics and I started delivering my hip hop more spoken word style. And that's really what set me apart. A lot of rappers would get up there and they would um, they would deliver the lyrics as if they were still on beat, as if the cadence mm-hmm. rap was still there. And a lot of times you would lose the lyrics, right? Uh, and right. so they would, I, actually, matter of fact, I'll give you a perfect example because as we were talking, I found the poem I was talking about what to do, the hip hop joint. <laughs> yes. so, yeah, so I'll give you a little taste of what I mean. So they, I, you know, they would say, um, if my brain was precipitation, it would rain all night. I look to God and ask him why you bring me pain all night. I sleep in turbulence, hurtling, blood curdling, nightmares, but when, why, where, and who lurking over there in the shadow of foul minds, battle of freestyle rhymes, frazzle the line between babble and rhymes, so I paddle and find my way upstream against the current tensions and strife, alternate dimensions of life, got me squinting at light, like, is that mess really down there at the end of this long-ass tunnel? I try to keep hope and stroke, but I think the God got jokes like, ha, I wonder if Seiku can really take all this, right? So then they would just spit those lyrics in in as if they were rapping it on beat. And there's a there's right. a sonic um joy to that. There's a sonic deliciousness to that. A, mm-hmm. to the, the the staccato and the syncopation and the and the rhythms and the cadences, right? And so there's one level of delight that we take in that. But mm-hmm. a lot of times the words get lost. Right. And so right. I found myself going, well, something. I put a lot of work into these words. You know what I mean? I want my words to be heard. Sorry. I want people to hear my words. Juice that know? performance. I, yes. So I would deliver it more conversationally. I would say, you know what? If my brain was precipitation, it would rain all night. I look to God and ask him, why you bring me pain all night? I sleep in darkness, mm. hurtling, blood curdling, nightmares of what, when, why, where, and who's lurking over there in the shadows of foul minds. All these battles of freestyle rhymes, they frazzle the line between babble and rhyme. So I paddle and find my way upstream against the current tensions and strife. Alternate dimensions wow. of life got me squinting at like, like, is that mess really down there at the end of this long ass tunnel? I try to keep hope and stroke, but I think that God got jokes like, ah, I wonder if Seiku can really take all this try to play me out like Job. So I just create songs with the struggles and strife, lyrically representing every aspect of life, from troubles and plights to happy cats, you know, who snuggle with wives. <laughs> but who do I snuggle at night? Nobody. If life's a show, it's whack. Yeah, I'm trying to hit the after party. So that would be the way that I would deliver them, right? And that and it took off. And a lot of cats weren't doing that at the time. And so yeah. it gave people a different relationship with my words and my name got bigger on the scene. And then I was like, well, damn, that, that worked. Let me try some of my traditional spoken word poetry, you know, try that out. And so pieces that weren't intended to be, you know, that weren't hip hop based initially or that weren't converted for hip from hip hop. And that took off as well. And my name got from that. Mm-hmm. And that's when I really was like, I think I'm actually more excited about trying to figure out a path as a spoken word poet than I mm-hmm. am about just joining the sea of demos out there trying to be hip-hop artists you know oh yeah so i so i really do identify as a spoken word poet and and the way i define that is poetry that is written and designed from the ground up to be performed that's kind of the most simple oh okay i like it poetry for me you know there's a lot of pieces that you can read any poem you can perform any poem the same way i just did but there's a lot of things that their performance techniques are often written into spoken word pieces, the same that right. line breaks might be written into page poems. You know what I mean? 
I just mm-hmm. watched the sister deliver this poem. I went to a, uh, a get lit youth poetry slam and saw the sister deliver a poem where she was talking about the patriarchy and and her a woman's voice being smothered by men. And, you know, she she was, you know, you she's up there, she's spitting. And I know y'all can't see me, which is kind of the point. Um, but if you see me <laughs> right now, you would see me, uh, my mouth still moving, but the words not coming out because she was like, and blah, blah, blah. And the men try to tell us this and they try to tell us that. And we women need to so-and-so and we need to so-and-so and we need. And she just started spitting the poem. You saw her mouth moving, but her voice was silent. No, no voice. voice. And it was you. so incredibly effective. Everybody was like, oh, oh you know, it was a powerful, <laughs> powerful moment. And you can't write that in a, on a page. You know? Right, and right. That's, that's you can't spoken do that. word poetry to me. I love it. I know that um, spoken word sometimes, it does not get the same uh, academ- academia. Uh-uh. Recogni- academic recognition um, as the page poet. Um, you know, I, I remember I reached out to uh, the Poetry Foundation and said, you're missing some amazing poets on your on your website. Um, they're spoken word artists. And they were like, well, we're not adding them. And I was like, wow. Yeah. Like these are these are poets that have been Grammy nominated or have Emmys, you know, and they're not there because ac- academia is not recognizing the greatness of spoken word. Why do you think that is? Well, yeah, I mean, this battle between, you know, sort of literary poetry and spoken word poetry has definitely been around a long time. I, mm-hmm. I think that and and. And to me, you know, spoken <laughs> spoken word poetry is a takes a big part of the responsibility for the resurgence of spoke of poetry in general, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because yeah. when people, I mean, listen, I, I I just last June celebrated my 20th year as a full-time spoken word poet. I've been in the game for a minute. And throughout my career, <clears throat> you have I have experienced this, the uphill battle of when I say I'm a poet, when I say I do poetry, or when someone is talking about booking me for poetry or bringing me to their, to their audience, there's this kind of eye roll sigh that happens with a lot of folks, because a lot of folks think they can't stand poetry, right? Think they hate it, think they don't, they think they don't get it. They think it's they think of it as this dead art form that they had that they were forced to study in high school and so forth. Well, literary poetry is responsible for a lot of that. <laughs> like, yes, you know what I mean? Exactly. Literary poetry is the reason why a lot of times people think that they don't like poetry. Spoken word mm-hmm. poetry has converted a lot of folks that thought that they hated poetry and then have this yes. transformative experience where they go and hear a really um, powerful spoken word artist just kill the mic. And they're like, oh, I thought I hated poetry, you know, or I or I don't know how many times I've heard, I hate poetry, but I loved that. Right? Yeah. So there's a conversion factor that we spoken word artists are experiencing where we are a big part of the resurgence of why it is that poetry is starting to, you know, be able to fill, fill clubs and fill performance spaces, mm-hmm. why it is poets are able to start um you know the 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 phenomenon of folks like um, Amanda Gorman. You know, I mean, how many times have we had a, a a poet at an inauguration? Nobody was talking about them. 
you know, like <laughs> it was like, but all of a sudden you get Amanda right. Gorman as as much more of a spoken word poet. She's a literary poet as well, mm-hmm. but but also also understands the power and came from spoken word roots. And suddenly people like you would think that she was the first time that she was the first poet that's ever been at the right. inauguration. Um you got Brandon Leak, you know, that won um America's Got Talent as a spoken word artist, yes. you know. Um that wouldn't have happened if somebody got up there and just read literary, you know, literary page poems. No, because you can't do that with with right. the right. So I so there's there we take responsibility for the, a lot of the positive aspects of this uh, resurgence for, of spoken word. But I, I also understand both sides of it because one of the complaints that a lot of literary poets have about spoken word artists is that there's not a respect for poetic technique. There's not, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's like folks get up there and rant and rave about anything and just call it spoken word. I don't know how many times we've been in an open mic. I'm sure you've experienced it where somebody is just, mm. you know, ranting and raving about uh, whatever, something as, as meaningful as police brutality or as insignificant mm-hmm. as the burrito they ate for lunch, you know, and <laughs> And there are people that can do it masterfully where you're like, whoa, I saw the sense of structure. I saw the use of cadence and metaphor. I saw mm-hmm. the use of illusion. I saw the use of, you know, all of the poetic technique. And then you got some folks who's like, you just ranted for a minute. Like you were just ranting to somebody. I didn't hear any poetic technique. I didn't hear any storytelling technique. I didn't hear any structure. I didn't hear anything. And I think that could be mm-hmm. the complaint that a lot of academic and literary poets have is that they are much wow, steeped in okay. the technique and they want to hear that. And they have a tremendous respect for that. So I believe that the best spoken word poets live in both spaces. I believe good gotcha. spoken word and good oration should live strong on the page and come to life on the stage. And I think that's where like that. the best oration lives. You should be able to read it and go, wow, that was powerful. I'm this mm-hmm. person's book. And I got an amazing journey from those words. But when I heard it performed, Ooh, something came to life that was even more yeah. than what I got on the page, you know? Yeah. I believe that. Absolutely. So what would you say your favorite part about poetry is? Is it being on stage or is it the time where you get to be by yourself and actually get the words onto the page? Uh, <laughs> um, no, I think it's, well, man, it's it's all part of the same journey. I, I'll give you I'll give you an example. I mean that I'm in right now. I am. Uh, I, I mentioned that I'm. But last year I celebrated my 20th anniversary, and so I decided to do something to celebrate that in a big way. I was like, that's no small feat um, to be 20 years as a full time poet. Never had to go look back. Never had to go back and get another job. Um, I think I want to celebrate that. And that takes a certain mindset to be able to uh, push through and and achieve that, right? You have to get all the naysayers, all the people that said it's not going to work, all the folks that said, what are you doing? You're leaving a paying job to go be a poet. How do you expect to eat? All the folks that said, hey, if you're building this inspirational speaking category, you should drop the word poetry because that's what's taking zeros out of your paycheck. You know, all the folks, all the folks that, I, you know, all, all the the lack of models that I had to follow, you know, like just not being able to look and say, oh, well, just like this industry and that industry, all they have to do is follow this model. But me, I had to kind of mm-hmm. cherry pick from different models and build my own model. And, you know, it was a wild, wild west. And so that's just, there's a certain mindset 
and a hard wiring that has to happen for a person to be able to do that. And I wanted to celebrate that mindset with an event. So I decided to put on what was initially a concert to celebrate my, my 20th anniversary. And then it turned into uh, a three-day inspiration expo. <laughs> I love so it. This July, <laughs> talk about putting yourself in scary and you know terrifying and exhilarating places. This July, July 28th, 29th, and 30th, I'm putting on a three-day inspiration expo in downtown LA. That is the biggest thing I've ever done. It is um, 20 unique experiences to celebrate 20 years. Each of them is titled the poetry of something. And so you'll have panels and pop-ups and workshops and performances and things like the poetry of art and innovation, where we'll have major innovators like the guy that put the, the rover on Mars or the woman who like built up Apple retail and then artists, you know, like uh, uh, Aloe Black or Will I Am or something. And then look at mm -hmm. that intersection of how it is that artistry and imagination leads to the innovations that change the world. Um, same thing with the power with the poetry of music and movements. And we'll look at the power of music to shape political and social movements throughout history. The poetry wow. of taste, where your actual dinner experience will be narrated with poetry, the poetry of love and intimacy, the poetry of equity and education for teachers to look at how it is create more mm -hmm. equitable education, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, some amazing panels, some amazing, but all of them will be infused with performances, whether they're dance, whether they're spoken word, it will always feel like this very human uh, experience. So it's not going to be a conference at all. Oh, wow. And then the third day culminates with um, that sort of next level spoken word concert that I'm, uh, that I'm talking about. And, uh, and you'll love this with the name of your, um, with the name of your podcast. So the, as we were trying to think about what to call it, I recalled a story uh, from years ago. I was fresh out of college chasing hip hop deals. And I went to a conference um, about, you know, making it in the music business and, you know, had my demos, my cassette tape demos all ready to try to be discovered. Right. And I'm sitting in front of this panel of record executives on the stage, surrounded by all these other artists holding on to our demos, looking up at this panel, hoping to be discovered. And this record exec said something I never forgot. He said, the number of people that go from completely nowhere in the music industry to completely successful in the music industry is less than the number of people who get struck by lightning twice. Twice. And when he said that, it blew my mind. And I remember just sort of looking around the room and now it felt like I was looking at hundreds of, of artists holding onto their demos, looking up at the sky hoping to be struck by lightning twice. And that was literally what changed my trajectory. And it was kind of the moment that I began wow. uh, to, to, to choose to stop chasing lightning and start making lightning and to make of my life a lightning machine. And so we called this event the lightning machine. And it's literally a celebration of lightning makers, of people wow. that were unafraid to go into the dark spaces and bring the light and be the light and create that flash of light against the night sky. That's a roadmap for somebody else to follow on how to get there. I love that. And so it starts with that spark. Yes. And we're celebrating people that have gone beyond the spark, if you will. Yes, I love it. I, I was looking at the date. I was like, oh man, I want to go, but... um. So I, I'm, I'm in the process right now of writing a, my one-woman show. 
And okay. uh, that is the weekend that it debuts. Oh, wow. <laughs> Otherwise, oh, I was going to hop on a plane <laughs> and come. <laughs> hey, listen, that's a good reason to not, to not be there. Yeah. I'll, allow it, uh, I'll allow it. Oh, man. Yeah. No, congratulations on that. That's going to be amazing. Yeah. It's called When a Teacher Decides to Leave. Uh, you look, I, I'm, look, I'm mad that my event is stopping me from being there now because that was the, I remember that decision. Yeah. Yeah. Teacher, so, you know? um, so that's, that's the debut of that show. And then I will market that show. So if you wanted to come to LA, you know, just let me know. Um, hey, listen, I will be looking out for that. That's dope. That sounds really amazing. And congrats that that first one, one person show is, is a powerful experience and expression of your work. And that's, you know, what this is for me. It's just, it's a, it's, it's trying to be a powerful expression of all of the different aspects of me that have led to where I am now mm-hmm. and, and infinite, you know, I, I told that story mainly as, as a, you know, backstory to answering your question in terms of, in terms of writing. So the pressure was on me to write the lightning machine poem, the <laughs> theme poem yeah. that would be, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That would culminate the concert or start the event off or whatever, you know? Um, I just found out that one of our sponsors is downtown LA and they're partnering with us to, and they're going to create a hologram of me performing the poem all around downtown LA. Right. So the pressure is all like oh, it's getting bigger, sick. bigger and bigger. It's going to be dope. And so I was like, it's, it's one thing when somebody says, go write a poem. It's another thing when the task is write a masterpiece, you know what I mean? And I felt like this needs to be a masterpiece. Mm. This needs to be like a signature poem. And you don't typically start off writing a piece saying I'm writing a signature poem. Right. You just write a poem and eventually it becomes, it becomes a signature, one signature poem. poem. Yes, you know I mean? yes. But in this case, it was like the world was saying, it would be great if this was a signature poem. Yeah, and go a ahead and write you know? it. It's a signature right. poem already. Right. So the pressure was super high and I just, just, just finished it um, a week ago. And it's this massively long version of it. I got to make a lot of cuts in it. But I mean, talk about just that that feeling of artistically giving birth. Oh. You know what I mean? It was like, I've been working on this for a year. Couldn't find my right access. Oh, that's a dope line here. It's a dope line there. Mm-hmm. A bunch of homeless lines. And then it finally took shape and it took a journey. And I was like, <laughs> I'm in the, I went and did a writing retreat. I was in a hotel room and I was just like, <laughs> the whole world needs to hear this, right? And I'm by myself. And there's that solitude <laughs> part of it first, yeah, right? Yeah. Saying, I think the world is going to think this is as dope as I do. Um, and then that second part of it is when you begin to share it with the homies and share it with your family. And so I've been very particular, you know, I'm, 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 uh, I'm on my Erica Badu. I'm an artist <laughs> and I'm sensitive about my, you know, yeah. so I was like, I don't know if we can cuss on here. So I'm like, I'm gonna keep it clean. So, <laughs> you um, and so, so I was like, you know, I'm sensitive and I, I got, there's certain people I can't share it with certain people I can. And so I just been share, like I shared it with my mom uh, mm. the, uh, yesterday before she left for mother's day. I shared it with um with my brother over the phone. I just shared it with my creative partner that's helped uh, Steve Connell that's helping me with the lightning machine and just get people's energy. And they're like, oh my God, they were lit up and so forth. And then I think that that third phase of it is that's when I'm taking it to the crowds. That's when I'm taking it to the lounge. That's when we take it to Fly Poet, to New Eureka, to whatever your venues are, mm-hmm. B-side entertainment around your local spot. And you start getting it, getting that audience energy. You know, yeah. oh man, it rocks. It didn't rock so much there. Uh, this line always rocks. This line is iffy, you know, and you're like a comedian or any yeah. other dancer. You start working it out in front of a crowd. And that's a critical component to, I think, the performance art of spoken word, mm-hmm. because you are sitting back and saying, I need to learn like a comedian. I can deliver a, a joke 12 different ways mm-hmm. and it will only kill two different two of those ways, right. you know, right. 
And so you're learning how to deliver the joke and the inflection and the timing of it to make sure that the humor hits. And you're learning how to make sure that the spitfire section can still be heard. And you're learning how to make sure that the audience participation section feels organic and all of that. That's where you're really working out the performance aspects mm. of it, open word artist. So, you know, long answer long to answer your question. I do feel like there is, there's all three of those spaces that I kind of live in mm -hmm. and literally I'm in that space right now with this new piece. And I'm excited to get it on stage, excited to get that audience energy um, and test it out before I debut it at my, at my event, the lightning machine. Yeah, I, I can, uh, I have a poem and I think the first line of it is, this is a poem 11 years in the making. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> my oldest son is autistic um, okay. and a, musical genius like oh wow the kid is he's he's a master um but he was 11 years old before i finally found the poem to mm -hmm. express how being his parent has has been for me and yeah. so uh i remember you know writing that poem i finally got it all out i had started it and thrown it away and you know kind of like you said just these bits and pieces had come over the course of the years and then finally yeah. it just all came out in this in this in this piece and i was like ah oh, this is it this is it and i think the first person i read it to was him and mm. i asked him i said are you okay with mommy doing this poem and he said yes mm -hmm. He, oh, he, he said yes he said um and so that's when i i did it last year at southern fried and i was on okay. stage just to kind of bring it full circle to our whole conversation i was on stage and literally broke down crying in the middle of the point <laughs> but had to bring it back in because I, there's a time limit in slams <laughs> That's right. I did That's not right. make the time limit, by the way. <laughs> the therapy, the therapy uh, uh, took yeah, you out of time. The, the, the stage was on point. Yeah, the therapy took, it took me time. out of time. But I was able to see that reaction and how yeah. other parents of autistic children reacted to that piece and how it touched them and how that space to just breathe and know that our children are beautiful was so healthy and helpful for them. And so now I perform the piece everywhere I go. Um, whether, because whether you have an autistic child or not, it gives you an education about right. a different way to see that neurodiversity um, and yeah. a different way, you know, and not to see it as, oh, that poor child, like there's something beautiful there. And um, it took me a while to, to be able to find it. I always knew it was there. I, I always said it was beautiful, but it took a way, it took time for me to get that into the poem. And then once it was finally there, it's it's a, a beauty and a satisfaction to say that it's done. And it's also great to put it on stage. I don't know if what's my favorite part of it either, you know, so. Well, it's the it's that it's that it's just like that pressure that I was saying about you know that I had on myself write a masterpiece write a signature poem you feel the weight the stakes are high and the same thing with this like this is a very important topic to you you know yeah. this emotional topic to you it's important that you represent it right for yourself it's important that you represent it right for your son it's important that you get his approval it's important that it reflects the the, the full spectrum if you will of your experience mm -hmm. in dealing with that. 
Um, and it's important that it's it's reflected in a way that other people will connect to it, find their own catharsis with it. That's a lot of pressure. It is. You know? it so is. My poem could be 11 and 11 years in the making compared <laughs> to when it's like, yo, I got to write a poem about a burrito. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could do that. I could you do know? that in I'm five minutes. An hour, <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I'm sure that you have commissioned poems like you have people who just say, hey, we want you to write this poem. Those those come a lot easier than when you dial into your own personal experiences. Sometimes those take a lot longer because you have yeah, to man. give it the I, right energy. I, and and one of the things that I that I started doing because I built my business on, you know, I mean, my business was initially built on creating custom pieces. Mm -hmm. That's what that's what I formed my company around. And then it moved more into the keynote space and, and ultimately creating poetic voice as a new category of public speaking. Um, but initially it was just short custom poems, you know, for companies like Nike. Um, and and so I, my muscles got very trained mm -hmm. on, on what used to be a yearly, then a quarterly, then a monthly, now a weekly process of being able to you know, have the call with the client, download the insight, listen to things, react to things, get ideas, come up with the first draft, do some revisions, blah, 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 knock it out. And it became so much more of a, uh, of a machine um, that was generating so much more output than even my personal poems. Right. right. So uh, then when it was time for me to write a personal poem, it, it in some ways has become a lot harder mm -hmm. because I've lost touch with that process of when there is no client, when there is no deadline, when there is no, and it's just me and my thoughts. Like, how did I do that before? Wow, <laughs> you know what I mean? yes. And so one of the things that I had to do is I was recognizing that was becoming harder was I was like, well, listen, use what you got. You know, you got this process that you're used to and your muscles are trained in that. And so treat this poem like it has a client, wow. you know? Uh, so I know that with this piece, the lightning machine, poem as well as one of the um last pieces that i was writing that was talking about um the inspiring power of healthcare, and i called up you know my writing partner and i called up another couple of cats and i was like i need you to play client for me wow. I need you to, okay you know I need you to pretend like you're the client and i'm writing this for you and give me some thoughts and just tell me what it is that you think you should talk about and i may not use any of it right literally because like, the point is not what you're saying the point is tricking my brain into the process so that it, so that those muscles activate, yes. you know, sometimes we have to find, you know, creative access points to get over our own writer's block and the mm -hmm. own, the, you know, pediments that are in our way um, and to learn those those workarounds to keep the continue the, the uh, creative process continuing. Oh, absolutely. I am. Um... People, I, I've been the poet laureate of my city now for three years. This is what, what, what? <laughs> shout out poet laureate. So, uh, so for three years, it's been mostly that just these commissioned pieces, right? Um, businesses come through, write about this leadership, you know, and I, I tell people all the time, I'm ready for it to be over just so that I can have that time to get back to writing for me instead of writing for everybody else and i had to you know much like you put myself on a schedule okay now i'm going to write i don't care what comes out right now <laughs> i'm going to write every day like i'm the client and you know deliver for myself and that's where we're at that's the process we're in right now <laughs> 
for you. Yeah. So, okay. Now, this is a question I ask everybody who comes on the show. So if you've listened to the show before, then you know the question and you're smiling. So you might, you might already know. But <laughs> if you could collaborate with anybody that you haven't already collaborated with now, because, you know, you famous, so you already collaborated with a ton of people. But if you could collaborate with anybody dead or alive, who would it be and why? Collaborate meaning on a poem. Whatever you want to collaborate on. Oh, wow. It could be on a recipe. I don't care. I just want to know. I want to see where your brain goes. All right, can you make that any more broad for me? You know, you know, we poets, we got a whole lot of ideas. Now. I know, that's what I love. That's what I love about this question. <laughs> Some poets say, I want to write a comedy sitcom. Like, I mean, it, it's been, it's been fun. <laughs> right, 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 yeah. If I could collaborate with anybody, alive or dead, um, I know this is one of those questions where my answer is going to change 12 times after we get off the <laughs> And I'm going to be texting you like, wait, 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 wait. Also this person, wait, 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 change my answer. No, no, forget what I said. All right, so I already know that. So I'm just going to go with uh, with what comes to mind instead of what's the ideal, lifelong, sealed in blood answer. Um, I think that I would probably... I would collaborate when a poet with, is speechless. <laughs> right. Well, you know what's coming to mind? <clears throat> I might collaborate with Queen Latifah. Okay. I like that on one. A, on a on a production on some sort of platform some sort of platform okay. like maybe a production company maybe a label okay i like that some sort of platform for artists um i have a, you know one of the things about the lightning machine is that it was meant to be a celebrate it is meant to be a celebration of my fans over the past 20 years mm -hmm. you know the folks that have given me the career that i have and made it possible folks like you right that became fans of my work and followed and brought me on to and interviewed me and so forth and supported the work over the years. And as I am, as I begin to promote the event, which we're just starting to do, one of the things that I'm doing is not just celebrating my fans, but celebrating the people that I'm fans of. And one of the most common answers when people ask me who, you know, who I'm a, uh, I'm a biggest fan of, um, Queen Latifah is, is way up at the top of that list. Okay. And so we want Queen to hear this. Right, right. So look, man, but I'm putting it out to all my fans. If you got a Queen Latifah connection, <laughs> that, can help, that can hook me up so I can invite her to the lightning machine. Please, yes. Let me. We're gonna have major players there, and ain't gonna be no small potatoes. So she gonna have some of her um some of her colleagues there as well. But um, Latifah has just been someone I've always, I've always been impressed with her because you know she wasn't the highest selling a recording artist of all time. She didn't have the most successful television show of all time. It wasn't any of that, but it's that she has crossed over into almost every type of media. Absolutely. As herself. Mm -hmm. you know what I mean, like I have felt 
like the the Queen Latifah, when you go back and you look at, you know, the 80s, the images from the 80s and her with her asymmetrical hairdo and doing ladies first, that same person, that same consciousness Mm -hmm. has been a part of everything she has done. Yes. You know, so you watch her television show and you saw her dealing with social consciousness issues and um, and living single. You watch, you listen to her albums. She, you know, you you can just hear that she is organically herself. Even her being bold enough to say, you know what, I'm gonna step away from hip hop and I'm gonna do a jazz album because what the hell, I'm a singer and I like jazz. I mean, who does that? <laughs> who says I'm a hip hop artist and now I'm gonna be like, I'm gonna be a jazz singer. You know what I mean? And then and then coming back and and you know across media across acting her roles that she's taken as an actress and now like looking at um even the equalizer that's you know my show. And old, that's, that's my, my show. show that's my show that's my show <laughs> in an old 80s television show where she took it and said we're gonna do the same concept and so we're gonna add a social awareness mm-hmm. and a social justice component to it and it's cbs this is a major network and it ain't even one of the networks that typically does a lot of these kind of shows right i find myself every t- every time she touches something i love the fact that it's being touched by that same mm-hmm. you and i by yes. latif from 25 years ago and i'm like that's the kind of career i want you know what i mean okay. like if i could have my career be anything it would be like to be able to emulate a career where you can be organically yourself through mm-hmm. every media unapologetically I would love to collaborate with somebody like her to say, let's build a platform for artists to be able to do that. And whether that's a label or a production company, a media company, but you know, that would probably be a, a heavy collaboration uh, dream. Okay. Okay. Well, Queen, if you're out there listening, you just heard well, it. Seiko Andrews is your biggest fan and right. has broken down your entire career and uh, sure. would like to collaborate with you. So uh, hit him up. <laughs> hey and if listen if you make that connection now you know you owe it to me right so <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah i got you make sure you make sure you. Uh, you. you give me a phone call and be like yeah Raya, thank you <laughs> that's right that's right <laughs> so uh we talked about what you have coming up um i'm so excited for it's called the lightning machine, machine. so um you don't have to be in LA to participate in the lightning machine. You can get your flight now um, because they're going to take over downtown LA with holograms or Seku everywhere. It's about to be sick. So um, make sure you all are supporting. Where can our listeners follow you in social media? Um, how can they get in touch? Maybe send you um, their appreciation and all of that. Go ahead and share yeah. that. So uh, my website is, is you know, headquarters uh, for all things Seku, sekuandrews.com, S-E-K-O-U, andrews.com. Uh, we're actually building a new website, which I'm also super excited about. It was supposed to be launched this month. It's probably going to be launched by the end of this month, beginning of next month. Um, but it is just a crazy evolution of bringing who I am today to um, to the digital space. You know, because it's been a lot of evolution over the past seven years of me and my career. And I haven't really, that hasn't been reflected online because I'm too busy kind of head down in the grind, putting in the work. So now it's like, you know what? We need to have a have a, a website that reflects sort of where you are and where you're headed. And so uh, look out for that new website. But in the meantime, go to sekuandrews.com, uh, click Be Inspired, sign up for my mailing list so that you become part of my tribe. Uh, follow me on social. Um, I'm at Seku World on IG. 
and Seku Andrews on uh, Twitter and Facebook and TikTok. Um, so follow me there. Uh, make sure that you subscribe to my YouTube page. We have some amazing videos that we've been putting up and really organizing the page, getting up stuff that we haven't had up there in years. So some exclusive content, as well as like the, the amazing, beautiful music videos from my last album, uh, Seku Andrews and the String Theory which was an album of my poetry paired with a neoclassical symphony orchestra out of Berlin. That is the album that um, got the first Grammy nomination in 30 years for best spoken word album. So really proud of that one. And um, we've got some amazing music videos up there, some amazing content. I'm getting ready to um, be a brand ambassador for a, an education company that's focused on um, literacy and critical thinking and, sure that uh we that we see every student um of every demographic and heavy equity themes and so i'll be doing a lot more stuff like that videos coming out for that so just make sure that you're tapped into my social you're following me um and that you join my tribe on email and i will make sure that you get the information for the lightning machine so that you can be one of the first to get your tickets tickets are gonna go quick because we don't have a lot of space it's a smaller event um and so you know you want to make sure that you get those tickets right away get your airline tickets and out here, we got a dope hotel partner, uh, the Biltmore and the Omni downtown LA. So you get some great room rates and come out, experience a non-conference inspiration expo like you have never experienced in your life, packed with freebies, packed with swag, packed with celebrities, packed with amazing content, packed with inspirational performances and closing with a concert, a next level Seku concert that will be out of this world so come through yo i'm so excited uh like i said i wish i could be there for that event I we're gonna be we're gonna be envious of each other that weekend because right, right. i don't want to be there, there. <laughs> we're gonna check in that monday like how'd it go how'd it go yes, <laughs> absolutely but no i really appreciate no. you for stopping by and talking to me y'all like i said i knew it was going to be a dope conversation i had no idea it was going to be this great um if you enjoyed this episode of beyond the spark just stay tuned because it's only getting better here in season two um i love y'all and I will see you or hear you talk to you next time. Peace out. Peace. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Beyond the Spark podcast. Remember to follow Raya Sunshine Poetry on social media and please subscribe to the podcast so you can be notified when another episode is dropped. Again, thanks for tuning in and we will see you next time when we go beyond the spark.